The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back into the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you are watching live on YouTube, we are, uh, we are going live as we're watching Gonzaga Memphis. To anyone listening deep into Saturday or on Sunday, yes, this is going to be a different kind of feel, but we wanted to do this. We wanted to see, one, how many people would like to watch right along with us as, uh, as we watch Gonzaga and Memphis play out. As this pod, for anyone listening after the fact, and as always, shouts to the, our majority of listeners who go phone only. We got eight minutes to go in this game. Gonzaga's up 63-62. Drew Timmy's been an absolute boss in the second half, and Gonzaga's trying to make sure it doesn't become the second one seed of the day to fall and fail to reach the second weekend, obviously joining Baylor. Um, we're going to go to a break here in real time, so this is going to be under eight TV timeout. David Cobb is here with me. No GP. We're going to talk Peacocks. We're going to talk everything from Saturday. We're going to touch on a whole bunch of stuff here. But Paris is in studio late. I didn't have games today. So you get your podcast nights and early in real time if you want to watch as we have this final game of the day play out. David, great to, great to have you here, man. How are we doing? How are you feeling about this uh, Gonzaga-Memphis game at the moment? As someone who has lived and covered Memphis sports. Yeah, so I'm no GP. I'm not, I'm not an alum. Uh, like Gary, nor can I make Peacock sounds like Gary, but I am a, a native Memphian and I am watching Memphis on the cusp of defeating the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament here, which by the way, would be, would be a nice pick me up because I'm a Tennessee alum. And uh, then also you got John Morant university just lost. So, so, you know, my, my geographic sphere could really use a dub here. We'll see if they can, uh, if they can get that dub. Um, yeah, it's been uh, terrific. As when the game wraps, we'll we'll talk more about Gonzaga Memphis once we know the uh, the true outcome of that game. But we are going to start with the story of the day. No, no, we'll see how again Tigers Bulldogs finishes. But listen, I'm I my allergies on on top of uh, my voice is much better. My, my my how about this Wi-Fi hotspot action to the max? Your boy's not dropping out of this podcast episode. Not going to happen there. So we should be clear. I don't want to jinx it, but I should be good all the way. Uh, you're getting YouTube comments uh, demanding some Peacock sounds. But Shaheen Holloway, you already know what's about to happen. Let's bring it back right now. Right in to the Sweet 16. Right into the Sweet 16. What an incredible story St. Peter's is. And, and, and oh, by the way, Shaheen Holloway called a beautiful game. Beat Murray State to do what only two other 15 seats have ever done before. Get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Plenty to touch on in this. The unlikeliness of all of it. Murray State, the most dominant mid-major in the country this season. 
gets what you thought would have been a little bit of a gift by not having to face number two Kentucky and instead can't handle the Peacocks, moves along. Thoughts, reaction, Cobb, on what we saw play out in Indianapolis. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir needs to form a commission. What's going on in the bluegrass state? Louisville, not in the dance. Kentucky, losing in the first round. Murray State was the last great hope, and, and here they are bounced in round number two. What, what a bleak state of affairs for college basketball in that state, but awesome for St. Peter's, awesome for college basketball. Two years in a row that a 15 advances to the Sweet 16. I think with Oral Roberts, it was a little bit easier to, to kind of see it. You had stars on that team and Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner. This St. Peter's team, they, they've got a bunch of fun characters and some good players. They don't. I don't see superstars on that team. I see a, a well-coached squad that is doing something really, really special. So incredibly special. And I know I mentioned some of this on uh, on the late Thursday show before. Both my Wi-Fi and my voice completely gave out. By the way, I got a recolo here in case I got to get into it again. But yeah, the fact that St. Peter's, which I don't have, there are 358 Division One men's basketball programs. I don't know where it ranks overall. I'm highly confident it's in the bottom 25 in that group, bottom 30 overall in terms of its men's basketball budget and overall athletic department uh, budget in general. And for this program to get into the second weekend is phenomenal. Casey and Defo, by the way, it's 17 points. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the box score there. A 70 to 60 win over Murray State. Uh, Six blocks, too, for Indefo. I mean, just a monster huge, right? on the defensive end. Yeah. How, how about the way that they played on that end? And again, they, they were carving up Murray State on a level that I did not anticipate. A lot of, a lot of really good sets, some good back cracks uh, to use some coaching speak and some of the stuff that they were running there. Uh, it's It's Impossible not to be impressed by the execution, not to mention the confidence of what St. Peter's did. Yeah, and Eddard got hot in the second half, too. That was huge. Just looking now, realized he missed two free throws. 90% free throw shooter missed two free throws in that game. I I missed that in real time. But, yes, a a marvelous job by Shaheen Holloway. And I think he's rightfully getting a lot of buzz for where he may go next. But what he's doing right now is is special. It may never be – replicated that's something you have to appreciate is that one if he, even if he does go somewhere else does he get that team to the sweet 16 there's no guarantee uh and does saint peter's ever get there again without him who knows probably not but that's why this is so special is because this is this is rare this is um something that will go down in that university's lore it's one of the stories of the year in sports no matter where it goes from here and don't automatically assume that St. Peter's isn't going to move along to the Elite Eight. We have to wait and see who it will play. It will play the winner of Purdue against Texas. That game will be played on Sunday. Um, but yeah, Doug Eddard, by the way, had, had 13 as well in that game and <laughs> has become something of a of a cult hero so far because with the stash, the confidence, the unending confidence, it's been awesome. And it is just, it is amazing you can see more stats and graphics courtesy of Nada. Thanks, Nada, for this. Um, first MAC team ever to win multiple games in the NCAA tournament. Trying to be the first 15 seed if it can do it to reach the Elite Eight. Um, how about this? First team from New Jersey to reach the Sweet 16 since Seton Hall in 2000. And courtesy, uh, thanks to Nick Parco, our uh, one of our editors at CBSSports.com. He pointed this out earlier in the week, uh, earlier yeah, on Thursday, I guess. Uh, the fact that after the Peacocks won on Thursday, Shaheen Holloway had the same amount of NCAA tournament wins at that time 
as Kevin Willard. Now it's two to one. It's Shaheen Holloway has more NCAA tournament wins than Kevin Willard. And we could be talking about the former Seton Hall coach and the future Seton Hall coach. We will get to a little bit of coaching carousel stuff at the back end. Bosses wanted us to talk about that. And certainly understandably so Sean Miller's going to go to Xavier, but we'll wait on that as we do in real time. We've got a 64, 64 all game going down in Portland and uh, between- wait, wait, wait. what does the clock say for you? I'm watching on cable and I'm at 629 and counting. Are you on a stream or are you on cable? You're, I'm streaming. You're 25 seconds ahead. Oh, that's that's a bummer. Is... <laughs> hey, hey, let me let me take a, a portion of Crow here before we move on from St. Peter's and yes. the Peacocks. I, I need to acknowledge this publicly and apologize uh, to St. Peter's and, and really to all of New Jersey and Jersey City. Uh, when I ranked the first round games one through 32, I ranked St. Peter's versus Kentucky number 32. And uh, a few people have tweeted that at Old Takes Exposed. And I just want to get out in front of it and and not wait until it ends up on Old Takes Exposed and just, just confess to my error and my egregious blunder there. I pointed out that it might be more entertaining if the NAAC regular season champions, Iona, were playing Kentucky because that would have been Rick Patino versus Kentucky and, and Calipari and all that. Uh, I did point out that Shaheen Holloway was a former uh, uh, point guard for Seton Hall, and that was at least somewhat captivating. So I didn't totally miss the intrigue, but I was woefully, woefully incorrect about where that one would fall uh, in the in the ranking of the, the first round games. How about that? Yeah, that kind of backfired on you. I saw the uh, the Thursday night game. Um... I was watching uh, at a at a spot right uh, right next to my hotel here in Greenville, and it was just an, it was an incredible thing to experience. Not just because of the window it came in was great, St. Peter's went over time, but also a very communal feel. Uh, it was like an indoor outdoor spot, and there were so many people you know gathered around the TV. Watching Duke obviously in the NCAA tournament. If Duke wins against Michigan State on Sunday, I will then fly to San Francisco to cover Duke in the regionals out there. But if Duke loses. It's a big shot by Andrew Nemhard there. If Duke loses, I will not go to San Francisco. I will drive to Philly, and I will get to cover St. Peter's. St. Peter's has the 15, now gets the geographic edge. Can't wait to see that either, by the way. Oral Roberts last year as a 15 had to go to the Indianapolis bubble, minimal fan support. Dunk City, I covered that. That was in Dallas. That was at Jerry Dome against Florida as a 15. You're going to have a 15 seed having as good of a regional, you know, quasi home court advantage as a, as a 15 could ever ask for really, really cool stuff, really good stuff. And on Murray state, just a, a quick, a quick thing on them. Cause this is how it goes. This is like part of the NCAA tournament is once you're uh, a coach who lost in this tournament in the first two days, I was talking to him earlier on Saturday. He said, man, the one thing about this is when you lose, unless you're like a big time program for the most part, it's like, all right, see ya. We'll think about it again in like six months. I don't want to completely do that with Murray State on the pod here. Matt McMahon did a wonderful job. Uh, he should be up for an opening in a power conference. If that happens, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, again, we can get to that at the end of this podcast. But uh, no shame in losing to this St. Peter's team, even if you were favored uh, because St. Peter's played a hell of a game and Murray State had a hell of a season. It well, falls well, short let me say this. I mean, I, I jokingly referred to it as John Morant University, you know, because he's I'm, I'm from Memphis. We're watching Memphis. Job ja plays for the Grizzlies and reps Murray State. And, and that's what maybe a casual basketball fan associates with Murray State. 
anyone listening to this podcast knows this, but I, but I want to be clear that the special thing about Murray state is that it's not one player. It's not one coach. It is multiple decades of sustained success. And this may just be the beginning because they're going to the Missouri Valley next season, a league that can sometimes be more than a one bid league and a league that could help them get better seedings. They were a number seven seed this year. I believe that tied their, their best seeding of all time. We could see them more as a, as a, 9, 10 type of seat on a regular basis now if they're able to, to maintain this success that they've enjoyed under McMahon. And nothing suggests that they won't, even if he were to take another job, because it's just been a, a continuous cycle of really good coaches coming through there in a way that suggests that the, the, the sustained success of that program, it's more than one player, more than one coach. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Absolutely. All right, let's go elsewhere That we with what we saw here on uh, on Saturday. First of all, North Carolina Baylor. Like, we're going to try and keep this podcast relatively breezy. I'm just t- I'm t- before I get to my thoughts, I'm tossing to you. Carolina wins 93-86, knocks off reigning national champs. They get there in OT. Brady Manick fouls, or not fouls, he gets ejected from the game for a flagrant two on an elbow. Uh, UNC uh, is going to go on and and wind up facing UCLA, but there are 77 things you can talk about with this game. What stands out to you? What's on your mind as it pertains to heels over bears here, man? Scott Drew's face as the game goes to OT. Have you seen that clip where he's he's, he's not looking, he's just face down, just can't watch as the, as the, the shot goes up? insane insane way to start the the day that east region uh it's saint, the saint peter's region it's, it's in fuego man anything could happen in that thing and the door looks like it's open for ucla we'll see how jaime Hawkins's uh ankle holds up moving forward but my gosh baylor and kentucky already out uh purdue potentially in a tight spot tomorrow against texas I mean, you could be we could be looking up in in 24 hours, and, and UCLA is the the highest seeded team left in that region. That's incredible, man. Baylor to get to where it got to this season, it was a great it was a great job by Scott Drew, and they almost pulled this back off. But the officiating was atrocious. It was absolutely horrendous. Can't you can't have it, man? You can't have it. This is the crew on this game: Donnie Epley, Kip Kissinger, Brent Hampton. Cannot work another game in the sense of tournament. It's not even just the manic. Throwing names out there, throwing names. That it's public record, and they work the game. Can't can't have it again. It was it was that bad. If you watch the game, it was that bad. That many missed calls. That inconsistent. The right team deserved to win. 
RJ Davis with 30 uh, was huge. Manic had 26. If Manic doesn't get tossed and he shouldn't have been tossed, then you don't even have a situation where I think Baylor's pushing back and getting it to OT. I think that's fair to say. Uh, but the the spirit in which Baylor fought to get back into it was incredible. Flagler had 27. Akinjo had 20. Sohan had 15. Meyer twisted his ankle. He came back in. He finished with 10, but he had a couple of big shots there. Just some wild, wild, wild swings, man. Incredible Yo. stuff. And Armando Baycott counting overtime, playing the last 10 minutes yeah. with four fouls. If he exits the game, they lose. So just a phenomenal job by him, regardless of, of whether or not he may have gotten away with, with something here or there. Just an insane body of work by Armando Baycott. It seemed like he came up with every big rebound. And to go 10 minutes, I mean, I've watched enough North Carolina games this year to know that that guy is pretty foul prone. And, and for him to go 10 minutes when it mattered the most, when his team season was on the line without getting called for anything, uh, an underrated portion of, of UNC pulling that game out. No question about it. For Hubert Davis, by the way, I mean, I think about where he was two weeks ago to the day, having not yet played against Duke in case final game, Carolina not for sure in the tournament at that point. And it's been mostly rosy since. You know, they didn't win the ACC tournament. I get all that. But they were clearly in once they beat Duke. Now they're going to go in the Sweet 16, 26-9 record. Baycott is just... It was such an inspire. Like he didn't have a great, great game, but he had big moments, and he is that team's rock. Twelve boards, four assists, three blocks. You know, played with a little bit of foul trouble down the stretch. There, incredible stuff. I, I get like to me, the officiating didn't completely mar the game. If Baylor had won, St. Peter's is still uh, the story of the day. It's again, it's the one of the stories of the year in sports so far. Uh, but man, if Baylor had won this game in regulation or in overtime the outcry would have been unending, particularly because of the team on the other side of this. Right. Uh, but also it would have felt um, not like an injustice. I'm not going overboard with this because, because UNC also, you know, they completely wilted under Baylor's pressure. And there's something to be said for that as well. They were, they were down 25 points with 10 and change to go. If Baylor had won, it would have amounted to the greatest comeback in NCAA tournament history because like when BYU, I think, did you mention this in Slack? Someone mentioned this in our group Slack. When BYU did this in the first four, it was, there was way much more time left in the game. Right. So from a, from a come from behind gap standpoint, it would have been extre- much more, ex- extremely much more impressive than that. Um, but again, the officiating was, was up and down the whole way. Scotcher's team, to even get back in that point, it was a riveting game. And this was a standalone game. It was just a, a hell of a way to start a Saturday, David. Well, I mean, it was, it, it, that game was the microcosm of Baylor's season because uh, things don't go their way a lot this year, right? They lose Langston Love before the season even starts. Nimhard just drilled a three. That's huge. Uh, Langston Love gets hurt before the season even, even begins. Am I right? And yeah. yeah. And then you go through the season, obviously, uh, beyond just LJ Cryer being banged up, there were extended periods of the season where James Akinjo was not 100% healthy. And then you, you lose Chamwa Chachua for the year. You're down to a rotation of really just seven guys at the end. And, and I want to get to uh, Creighton as well for, for performing in a, sure. in a similar vein today in a losing effort. But Baylor deserves some kudos for not just today, but this season battling through a lot to be a number one seed after they were the defending national champions. And, oh, my gosh, Jalen Thurin, what did he just do to Chet <laughs> I Holmgren? love that you're behind me on the screen, <laughs> by the way. 
Again, I got 120 to go in this game, uh, and I am enjoying the uh, the comments in the in the YouTube chat as we do this here. Memphis has put up a spirited, spirited game here, and when this goes final, we'll kind of talk more about it. Uh, for the purposes of the podcast, I think I prefer this not to go OT. But there you go, Memphis cuts it to three with a minute to go. I, great, great stuff by uh, by the Memphis Tigers here. Um, last thought on on UNC uh, on UNC Baylor. Uh, well, two thoughts. One, Scott Drew, I still maintain, was a top five coaching job in all of college basketball this season. Um, how many injury issues? They never had you know, their full roster available to get to that level that he did in the toughest conference in America, I thought was incredible there. And for UNC to do what it did and barely hang on without Manic, get Caleb Love foul out, um, Hubert Davis with some serious redemption. And I know not all Carolina fans were massive doubters and i'm not saying that hubert davis is destined to be there for six years 10 years 15 years maybe he will maybe he won't but uh to me at this point all things considered carolina has outperformed expectations you're in the sweet 16 you're a 26 and 9 team uh you beat a number one seed to get there and you just can't argue with the facts on that matter not everything's been perfect but it's been really impressive for him to do this especially with the iron five davis baycott black shouts to leaky black who by the way had an absurd play that could have also helped cost carolina by throwing it off the glass from 40 feet out leaky what are you doing to me right there what was that Hey, um, if you if, if Duke loses and you end up at the East Region, you could get the picture with Leaky Black that Norla or that uh, Gary was too afraid to get earlier this season. That's true. That's true. As you can see here on the screen with Nada, um, Hubert Davis uh, in the second round as an eight seed, he was there as a head coach this year and as a player in ninety, knocked off one season both times, obviously, and they were both both close wins. So there we have it with that. Uh, Gonzaga, I've got a point real quick on on right. on the Hubert Davis thing before we move on, and it ties in with a couple of other games today, including the one we're watching now. Uh, so UNC lost at home to Pittsburgh on, on February 16th. And it was around that time that the Michigan was going nowhere fast and, and Memphis was sort of emerging from its hole that it had dug itself in the first half of the season. But what an impressive job by this, 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 there's this group of coaches that is always under the microscope for, Oh, did they just get the job because it's their alma mater and because they were big time NBA players. Right. And so for that group, even if Memphis doesn't pull out a, a thriller here for Memphis to recover the way it did in the second half of the season for Jawan Howard to get Michigan to the sweet 16. And then for Hubert Davis to recover from a home loss to Pittsburgh on February the 16th, what a month ago uh, to make the, the, the sweet 16, a really good job by the, uh, the, the former NBA players back at their alma maters right. to rally in the second half of this season. That's, that's absolutely true. And, uh, and by the way, we are uh, we are waiting for Gonzaga and Memphis to uh, to wrap. If you're watching in real time here, if you're listening after the fact, hope you're enjoying. Again, this is a little bit experimental, but you know, a little more communal for your NCAA tournament experience there. Um, and we'll see how this game wraps. Let's ke let's keep it with the one seed talk here. You mentioned Kansas Creighton. We'll go to that one as well. Also in Fort Worth, the way that Baylor and North Carolina were. Um, Kansas wins seventy nine seventy two. Got to be honest, was doing a lot of work on the Sean Miller to Xavier stuff. When the, I did catch this game in pockets, but there were parts where I wasn't uh, I wasn't able to be dialed in because of the other stuff I was doing for HQ for the site and working the phones there. Now I'll toss it to you, but I will say I know Remy Martin had a, had a nice performance. He went for twenty point seven boards, four assists. I have maintained for weeks that I thought that Kansas was going to be a danger to make the Final Four, specifically because Remy Martin wrongfully tapped as the preseason big 12 player of the year. I thought that he was going to be 
borderline destined to show up and really give KU a boost in at least one game. It appears to have happened here. Uh, talk to me. Talk to the people, Cobb. KU. 20 points. I mean, yeah, 20 points for Remy. is It's his uh, new high in a Kansas uniform. Uh, yeah, Kansas, Kansas advanced. The story here, in my opinion, though, because we're, we'll, we'll, Kansas will be discussed at length in, in the days to come. Creighton playing six players in this game to the very end with the basketball with under a minute to go down one point with a chance to take the lead on Kansas just two days after losing Ryan Kalkbrenner to the, uh, to, for the season due to an injury and just about three or four weeks after losing Ryan Nimhard uh, to injury for the season, they were playing six players. And this is a Creighton team that as recently as a month ago was on the bubble in a lot of places. So a really impressive job. I thought by a roster that is still pretty young, like they lose the, um, the Hawkins dude, who was a, a three-point marksman, but like, okay, what, what's that face you're making? You're going to see it in a couple seconds here. You'll see it. Keep going. So I'm going oh, to react God. in real time. I don't know what you want from me. Wait until you see this shot. <laughs> uh, wow. So Lester Quinones, okay. <laughs> they got a foul here. Continue, Kansas Creighton. Uh, I don't know how you expect me to, to keep my train of thought there. <laughs> Oh, this wow. Okay. I mean, we can pause the KU Creighton dog if you want. No, no, I mean, I, what I was saying was an incredible fight by Creighton under really adverse circumstances. You rewind, what, just over a year ago, that program is in a world of hurt, and you don't know what's going to happen with the future of that program. But I, I, after losing to Kansas today in the second round, I, I feel like the future is is bright for Creighton. Without a doubt. I mean, McDermott did a beautiful job this season. 23-12. and 12 get into the second round, give a one seed a real push. And again, you don't have Calc Brenner. It, it, it was, it was as inspired of an effort as you could possibly ask for, for Creighton in that spot. With a, you know, The, uh, the no story point. was their three point shooting. They were in Fuego from the outside. I think they entered at like three thirty in division one in, in three point shooting percentage. Yeah. And they were, they hit like 12 out of 26 or something today. Incredible. Yeah. And that's, and you know, normally, Creighton's, uh, you know, offensive sets, its shooting ability, its efficiency on that end of the floor is, is the story. That actually, that has not been the deal. Uh, Blue Jays fans listening know uh, that this season has been all about the defense there. And if Kalkbrenner's in the game, it, it might well wind up being a different story there. Abaji had 15. Jalen Wilson went for 14. Christian Brown went for 13. Um, how about Jalen Wilson with, ten, with, uh, with 14 boards overall, though? Hey, Bill Self has a group here. That would not rank, I don't think, among his seven or eight most talented he's have, I don't think, at Kansas. And yet, the more this team plays, I have him in the title game, but I wasn't super confident in that. In fact, in many ways, my bracket is a disaster, and that's fine. We lean into it. We accept uh, the inevitabilities of this. But the more I watch this Kansas team play, the more I'm seeing how it has enough to validate my pick and sending him that far because Abaji's obviously a stud, been a top five player this season. Brown is a wonderful uh, Robin to his Batman, if you if you if you will. And McCormick, again, I still maintain McCormick could have a big game waiting for him. And now you add in Remy, if that's going to be there, he's going to be reliable. I think it's a huge, huge, huge factor for Kansas. Yeah, the red flag for me today is, is a kind of normal red flag for Kansas. It's David McCormick. Uh, you're talking about them going against a Creighton team that does not have its primary big. And McCormick finishes with, I think it was seven points and six rebounds on two for eight shooting. So just the, this, this is a, a years long trend now with him, but just the, the Jackal and Hyde act is, you know, it, it's, did I just got a Jackal and Hyde. Did I get a Jackal and Hyde from you there? 
You you did. This this is what you get from me when it's almost uh, almost midnight and and my hometown squad's taking Gonzaga to the wire. It's oh, it's it's okay. We had a uh, we had a uh, Quinones, uh prayer there that did not land the right way. So it's eighty seventy six Gonzaga over Memphis with six point one uh, six point one to go here. We'll wrap on this game as soon as it's actually official. We get to uh, we get to triple zeros there. Um, hit on a, a quick game here that won't take much time. UCLA gets past St Mary's. Uh, Bruins look impressive in doing so considering how good I mean I was I was amping up St. Mary's on the Thursday pod credit to to Cronin and his guys Jaime Hawkins got injured in that game I think Cronin said after that he should be maybe available they, they don't play until Friday with the way that the, the schedule breaks down there Johnny Juzang is 14 Tiger Campbell 16 Jules Bernard at 14 Hawkins had 15 despite uh uh, being hobbled in that one. And UCLA completely took St. Mary's out of what it wanted to do. An impressive win for the Bruins there. And, you know, a team, a final four team that was there a year ago is now into the Sweet 16 and both living up to their seed as it stands right now and also a preseason top five team. We don't have an early exit kind of situation like we've had with some other teams. I've got a, I've got a nugget for you, Matt. Are you ready for a nugget? Feed me that nugget, my man. When UCLA, uh, when Jaime Hawkins exited the game for UCLA, uh, UCLA was ahead by eight points. It was 55 to 47. There were seven minutes left in the game. They outscored St. Mary's by eight over the final seven minutes without Jaime Hawkins Jr. on the floor. Impressive. Big time. Big time. Big time stuff. Absolutely. I think the, the key for Mick Cronin moving forward is to keep his players off of scooters. <laughs> You might have something. Uh, you might have something to that. People are watching in the ch- in the chat right now, asking where's GP. They came for more GP. Hashtag GP Peacock. Parrish is in the studio, so we Wait, went earlier tonight. Happen? I also gotta give my man Nada a break, dude. Can't have my man working deep into the night. Now tomorrow night, I believe it's it's GP, and I don't know if and anyone else is joining him or not. But I, I have a super super early flight on Monday. I cannot be going that late, so I will not be around for tomorrow's podcast. And then we will convene again once uh, once we both get back home. We will have a, a full on regular show for you. But uh, but yes, we will uh, we will we want to basically give you a podcast to listen to in real time each night or the next morning before you get ready for the games. Here, I'm going to go some live commentary. It's 80 to 78. Memphis is going to have to foul, and they do so with Andrew Nemhard. Four point one to go. Two point game. To make your full shots here. Gonzaga will be good to go before that gets final. We'll talk about else games elsewhere. Arkansas wins over New Mexico. I will get to Tennessee. I need more time. I don't want to get into Tennessee because I want to talk Gonzaga as soon as it's done. Don't worry. Michigan, Tennessee. We are most definitely getting to David Cobb's Vols. Just need a little more time. Arkansas beats New Mexico State in a hideous game. 53-48. But nevertheless, Hogs, Sweet 16, two straight years after not getting there. Trivia time. You should know this, Cobb. Last year, Arkansas made the Sweet 16. How long had it, had it been before that? When was the last season they did that prior to? Well, it was under Nolan Richardson back in the year 1996. Here we go. My man knows it. My man knows it. If you are watching on YouTube right now, feel free to smash the like button. I cannot promise I will make any kind of animal noises. Voice not. I might not be. Uh, listen, if I knew my voice could instantly recover from it, I'd do it for you. In fact, I wondered if we might have a blue hen situation with Delaware, but that kind of died pretty quickly. Um, but although I can't be having a situation where I'm throwing my voice out at trying to do a podcast here, but I pre and I don't, I don't know if this needs to become the official podcast of all animal noises, but I can't tell you how appreciative I am of Parrish leaning into hashtag G Peacock 
and going after it. And to everyone that responded to it, we totally appreciate it. His peacock noises will be instituted into the soundboard. Um, you heard him earlier, and I will continue to make sure that that is a, a piece of the pod going forward. Um, my thanks to uh, my thanks to him. We got Nemhart at the line, 4.4 to go. Let's see if he makes both of these. Um, I got nothing else on Arkansas. New Mexico State uh, loses. Chris Jans is going to be in the mix, and he's considered the favorite to get Mississippi State. So that's your New Mexico State angle. Uh, they got to the second round. They did a wonderful job. Um, Arkansas will move along uh, in the Sweet 16 and see if they can break through again. Um, and, and good job. By, good job. I must. They got a good game from Vermont. They're able to win. They won close and won by four on Thursday. They got a tough but ugly game against New Mexico State. Get it done. They'll move along uh, to play in the Sweet 16. Uh, impressive game nonetheless. They'll play Gonzaga if Gonzaga wins here. Nemhard sinks both of them. That's 4.4 to go. Of course, we're going to have a timeout. This is the problem. Almost certainly. I can't start talking about Gonzaga into Paris. If Paris listens to this, he's going to be like, man, why did you go live when this game wasn't over? But what we're 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 convening with the listeners as it goes along. So I mean, I'll throw you an Arkansas tidbit. Uh, good, good for the SEC that the Razorbacks got it done, because otherwise, a bleak state of affairs for that conference going into the second weekend. What do we have that SEC record right now? Do you have it off the top of your head? I mean, you, you got Arkansas and you got Auburn, and Auburn hadn't even played its second round game yet. That's, and that's that's it. That's all that stands. Well, let me let me run through it. Tennessee lost today. That's your third team. Uh, Kentucky lost. That was your fourth team. And then uh, Alabama and LSU lost. Those were teams number five and six. And then team number seven was left at the at the door. And and has anyone checked on Buzz Williams in the last forty eight hours? Oh, I know, right? Right? Seriously, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not a good couple of days here for the SEC. But your reminder. That performance in the tournament does not validate or invalidate seeding. Prior thoughts. No matter, no matter how you think. If you thought Tennessee should have been a two and, or it should have been a three and because it loses, so it goes. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's how it is. This game is a final. Gonzaga wins 82-78. It escapes. The number one overall seed will move along to play Arkansas in the Sweet 16 in San Francisco. If Duke wins, I will be there to see that game. Now that it is final, let's bring that up. Nada, can you bring up the stat broadcast so we can look at those stats in real time, too, if you happen to have it there? Gonzaga got a real push. Down 10 at the half. Jalen Duran. Looked wonderful in spurts, although then he got into foul trouble in the second half there. Memphis is, uh, listen, it's a tough loss. You, you had real belief here for a good portion of the game that you were going to pull the upset. 
didn't quite go that. Malcolm Dandridge, by the way, was was terrific. It says here only eight points. It felt like every single point was worth five. He was well, awesome. He, he put Holmgren on a poster did, in the first sure. half. It was nasty dunk. Not totally blown away by Chet Holmgren here in this game, but not really all that blown away by Jalen Duren either. So kind of a flop from the scouting perspective. But Fair. I think this game is a good example of how this was a tough draw for Memphis because Memphis as a 10 seed does more damage in this NCAA tournament than Memphis as a nine seed, especially as a nine seed that has to play the number one overall seed in the second round. I mean, you look at, at Memphis and North Carolina, two teams that we've already talked about a little bit. You throw Michigan into that group as well. Teams that are immensely more talented than their seeding suggests. And uh, Memphis took took Gonzaga down to the wire. And I think, this, I think this was probably good for Gonzaga to get a game like this in. I would think so. Now, as we look at the Sweet 16 matchup, Gonzaga, Arkansas, I mean, it's 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 not exactly like another Memphis, but this is the problem. I mean, Memphis, to a certain degree, was giving Gonzaga some problems with this athleticism and physicality, kind of similar to the way Baylor did it. They aren't they aren't built the same roster way. Arkansas can get it done. Man, Timmy is fired up, and he had himself a game. Drew Timmy has not been the National Player of the Year. In the preseason, he was voted that. As you can see, if you're watching the, the stat broadcast uh, feed, uh, the, the, the stats up here that Nada brought up, Timmy with 25, 14 boards, four assists. Nemhard at 23. And Timmy coming out of the second half the way that he did, that's Enpoi stuff, if you will. National player of the year. Big, big, big time stones, man. He brought this team back. Incredible stuff. He's that yeah, dude when he wants to be. And how about the guards? To me, that's always been the doubt with this Gonzaga team as a national title contender is I believe that they got better in the front court with the addition of Chet Holmgren because of the rim protection element that he brings that, that Timmy doesn't really provide. But I questioned whether or not they were going to be uh, significantly worse in the backcourt after losing Suggs and Kispert and AIE. Well, tonight on a big stage against a really good opponent, Bolton and Nimhard combined for 40 points on 12 of 21 shooting, including 8 of 16 from beyond the arc. Yeah, how about Bolton doing that, man? And that's what Gonzaga's going to need. Like, it's not going to always just be Nemhard, Timmy, Holmgren. You know, Bolton's capable of doing that. Watson, we'll see in spots. You know, Strother as well. That's They're going to continue to need that. Gonzaga's been pushed in two consecutive games. Now, it pulled away from Georgia State, but it was they were trailing in the second half to a 16, Cobb. And then here, Memphis pushes them. I agree with you. It's probably a good thing. But it's not unthinkable Arkansas can knock them off. I said it on Selection Sunday on HQ. Arkansas is clearly capable of getting that done. We'll see if that winds up being the case there. Um, great, great game. I mean, th this was a really quality, solid Saturday. And I love I love getting a great one to start, great one to finish. We got that with Baylor UNC. Now we get it with Gonzaga and Memphis out of Portland there. Uh, I'm watching the postgame interview here with Katz and, and Timmy. He's just he's. True Timmy, man. He is just a boss. It was awesome to see him come out and be like, I'm not letting us lose. I'm not letting us lose. Memphis came ready to play. Penny Hardaway did an amazing job this season turning this team around. This was elite eight level kind of game. No doubt about it. Memphis was playing on the level of a top 10 team. They pushed Gonzaga to its limit. Gonzaga faced that challenge, stared it down, held him off, got a win. This, you know. It's an old like sports writer cliche. They, they don't even need the plane to fly home. They're going to be feeling so good after this win. And as they should, like there's something to be said for having this kind of a close result, Cobb, and letting that propel you to the next weekend. I think it is better for this team that they won like this as opposed to if they did, had dispatched Memphis by 18 or 19. And, and Portland is Spokane is drivable, is it not? 
It is drivable. I don't know how long it is, but I bet you that's like three, maybe. I don't know for sure, but it's, it's definitely drivable. So they may, good point. They may be busting. I don't know if it's just far enough where they're outside the radius where they get to fly. Have you, have you ever been to Portland? Yeah, multiple times. Incredible city. Yeah, it's a cool city. They got that Lovely donut city. shop. Have you ever been to that donut shop? I've been to like five of the donut shops. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shouts got to, one- to Pims, by the way. Yeah, there's a donut shop in Portland called. Uh, well, I can't remember what it's called, voodoo. but I was out there when I was covering the Grizzlies a couple of years ago, and they had a, a Memphis Magic or Memphis Voodoo donut or something that was yes. just like a Big heart time. attack. But it was it was on big point. time stuff. All right, now we're talking Tennessee. Before we get to the game, is it a good thing or a bad thing that Rick Barnes's career at NCAA tournament record is 25 and 25? My man is coached in 25 NCAA tournaments, but he is 500. Even Steven. good thing or bad thing? Good stat or bad stat? Uh, it's not good for Rick Barnes. <laughs> I mean, you've made the tournament 25 times. So, uh, how many coaches? I literally, I don't know. How many coaches can say that? Is is it five in men's? How many coaches can say they've been to the tournament 25 times? Yet you figure if you make it that many times, you're pretty good. You should be, I mean, Mike Krzyzewski's win percentage is at like, what, 770, something like that? Barnes is 500. I don't know. I will I, say being, being pretty plugged in with the Tennessee fan base still from having covered that team and being an alum of that school, I'm pretty proud of the fan base because we all know that the Tennessee fans are pretty high on, on the psychometer. And I'm allowed to say that because I graduated from there and grew up a Tennessee fan. So um, I'm a family member of sorts when I say that. Um, I feel like the, the uh, vitriol that you would expect to be directed towards Barnes that has been directed towards Barnes when they've made early exits in the past – Hasn't quite been there tonight because I think there's an acknowledgement that this team got a lot better this season as, as the year went along due to the coaching. And then also an acknowledgement of the fact that Rick Barnes didn't go two for 18 from three point range in this game. That was the players. And it was kind of the, the same issue that plagued Tennessee when it lost close games throughout this season was that it hit long extended offensive dry spells at some of the worst possible moments. And that's kind of the story of, of the, the second half of this game against Michigan. Yeah, Tennessee, uh, just because it lost here doesn't mean it shouldn't have been a two seed. Again, tournament performance, particularly if you're talking one or two game sample size, doesn't invalidate uh, you know, previous what, what you have accomplished at that point. You get a lot of that this time of year, especially with casual drive-by commentators, fans, what have you. Uh, it's just not the case. Just you know, Tennessee could have still been misseeded, but also deserved to lose this game. That's what happened. Dickinson, 27-11. and 11. Uh, He was a problem. He was a big-time problem. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Michigan gets a great win. Fascinating uh, turn for uh, for the Wolverines here. You know, Juwan Eli Brooks. How about um, Eli Brooks? I mean, come on, man. Yeah, twenty three points in, to to marry up with uh, Dickinson's twenty seven. There, Diabate had thirteen, and you didn't have um, Devontae Jones. But for all of twelve minutes, he had to, he had to leave the game. And Tennessee and, and game when Caleb Houston was all but but vacant and. Correct. I think yes. what honestly you can look at the three point shooting with Tennessee and certainly that's a, a big issue for why they lost this game. But late in that second half, I mean, Tennessee has not let a, a single opponent go off like they let Eli Brooks go off all season. And so to me, that is as much responsible for Tennessee losing this game as the cold three point shooting because they were getting enough decent looks with Kennedy Chandler slicing into the paint to at least sustain the offense. Uh, the, the defense is kind of what let them down, which is honestly shocking because aside from when they got ran over at Rupp uh, six weeks or so ago, it, the defense has been really good for Tennessee. So Eli Brooks kind of torched them. And I think Hunter Dickinson set them up because I think Tennessee got kind of just got so used to Michigan running everything through Dickinson that 
they were flat footed a few times when, when Eli Brooks got the ball with a, with a full head of steam. And uh, what, 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 what a performance by that guy, because he's been there since the beeline era, he was a reserve on their 2018 team that, that lost in the national title game. And so to kind of stick it out uh, through a, what has certainly been a transition season at Michigan and get a moment like that uh, pretty huge. Oh, it's massive. And for Michigan to go from, you know, the incident uh, with Howard and guard five game suspension, needing to win probably at least three to get into the tournament, getting that done with Martelli Howard returns a a quick uh, cameo in the big 10 tournament. And then they get into this, an interesting game against Colorado state. Then they, uh, they upset Tennessee move along to the sweet 16 fifth consecutive season, sweet 16 or fifth consecutive tournament. I should say Michigan into the second weekend. Gonzaga has now done that seven consecutive tournaments. Those are the two schools. Uh, I think a couple schools might go into three straight if they move along either today or Sunday. I don't have the latest updated stats, but I think going into the tournament, it was only Michigan and Gonzaga had done it in, in uh, in four consecutive tournaments uh, or three or more, the moment between Howard and Kennedy Chandler in the in the how about the how about the um like the one eighty for Howard in the handshake line, my man. Like he has like the most uh you know one of the most more disgraceful things you could do in a handshake line, obviously. And then he just you know Kennedy Chandler almost just kind of like folds into him. He's just beside himself, Memphis's own. Because it was just, you know, this the immediacy of the season's ending, Cobb, are so powerful to a lot of these guys. I just thought I didn't want to get away from this game before at least I mentioned that. That was well, uh, that was really something. It's so so special. I mean, one you got you got a one shining moment, absolute in there. I mean, that we're gonna see that moment again. I think I think that moment was was had many layers for me as I watched it. One kind of the redemption arc of Juwan Howard. Two, I. I love the way Jawan Howard wears his emotions on his sleeve. And obviously he took it too far against Wisconsin. He just seems like such a genuine person in a world that needs more of that. And again, obviously took it too far at Wisconsin, but just the, um, the emotion of that moment was so real. And I think too, it's a reminder potentially for, for the Tennessee fans in particular that Sometimes you can get jaded towards the one and dones, and that's any fan base. But I, I really thought that moment erased any doubt about how invested Kennedy Chandler was in the success of this Tennessee basketball team. Because I think a year ago with Jaden Springer and, and Keon Johnson, it just they, maybe the 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 chemistry, the just intense all out buy in maybe wasn't there, or maybe it just didn't seem that way. But we we certainly saw that with Tennessee this year after they lost at at Rupp Arena. Uh, it, they came out a different team the rest of the year, and it was a close knit team. And well, I mean, you saw it on Kennedy Chandler's face; they they gave it everything they had. So, no, I, I don't think Tennessee fans should have anything to be disappointed about from this season. You win an SEC tournament for the first time since the seventies, and yeah. uh, get a number three seed. It was a good season for Tennessee. On the whole, yes, uh, man. Tennessee fans had all. I mean, they had what forty four hours to gloat over Kentucky fans. And then it's all gone just like that. Now, well, and then, and then you had the six hour window uh, after Tennessee lost to Michigan, where the Memphis people, including some Memphis yeah, media yeah. were talking about how Memphis made it lasted longer in the NCAA tournament than Tennessee. Right. And I'm just like, give me a break. Man, oh man. Uh, yeah. That's been rough around the area there. It's yeah. I, 
Barnes gets you to the tournament, but his uh, his pace, if you will, performance against seed expectation, I don't have that stat in front of me. Basically, pace is how well you do versus what you're expected to do uh, corresponding to the bracket. And if you're a three seed, uh, you are expected to make it to the Sweet 16 based on seed alone. And Rick Barnes, unfortunately, has been an underachiever there. Michigan will move along to play into the second weekend. Um, last one is Providence. The Friars get along to the Sweet 16. I think they're still 49 and uh, at Kempom as we, as we do this. But at least want to mention, they, they destroyed uh, the Spiders. And um, your takeaways from that, however much you saw it, it was an absolute blowout. They didn't even keep it close. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a couple things down. One, Richmond goes 1 of 22 from 3. So Richmond and Tennessee combined to go 3 of 40. Uh, from three, uh, not not very good there. I'm real curious to see how David McCormick handles Nate Watson in the in the Sweet 16. That that to me could be a problem for Kansas if if Jacqueline Hyde, David McCormick is is gonna gonna be showing up again. But uh, I mean, another takeaway was my gosh, you know how bad is is Iowa's defense because that Richmond team just beat Iowa and then turns around and loses by 28 to Providence. So that's a uh, yikes. It is a yikes. Providence, uh, moving along. Great for Ed Cooley. <sighs> He's my national coach of the year right now, and that's uh, that's who my vote would go for there. So big time, big time, big time win for the Friars to get to move along with the chance to get to the Elite Eight. If they can get through, if they can get through, uh, what do you give their chances in the Sweet 16 out of curiosity? <laughs> Funny you should ask. I just saw this comment. Somebody says, Cobb, finally someone who can pick games. I know, dude, I don't even know what my, my record against the spread is right now. I think it's sub 500. Uh, I'm having some issues. So the question is Providence chances to advance to the sweet 16. Yeah. I mean, they're going up against Kansas. That game will be in Chicago, right? So I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing the line will be actually, I can bring up the campaign page right now. Hold on. Let me bring this up. I'm going to say, I'm going to blindly say Kansas is going to be eight points over Providence. Kansas is I was close seven. Seven point favorite there. Quick See, handicap I mean, I, situation. I would take in a heartbeat, I would take Providence against that spread. Straight up, I'll consider it. Give me give me a day or two to, to think on it. That's the beauty now is we actually get a little bit of time to look at these matchups, figure out, you know, the 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 storylines and how everybody pits, you know, pits against each other and whatnot. But against the spread, sure, absolutely. Providence seven, no doubt. Um Straight up, we'll see. I might, I might get there. Yeah, that's true. A uh, quick rundown for Sunday before I uh, we wrap up with coaching Carol still stuff um, as it is. Uh, your your TV schedule and order will be like this: Houston, Illinois is your twelve ten tip on CBS. Then we will get Ohio State Nova two forty p.m. on CBS. Then we get where I will be in Greenville, Michigan State versus Duke five fifteen p.m. Eastern on CBS. Uh, that will then then we're going to that's when it starts to you'll have the same kind of rhythm and rotation with games. You know, we'll have a couple standalones and then they'll all be CBS and then it gets into TBS, TNT. And there was a true TV game uh, squeezed in there. So Michigan State Duke, 515 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Then you will have oh, Iowa State, Wisconsin, 610 Eastern on TNT. Then you got Notre Dame, Texas Tech, 710 TBS. It gets to be and then 745 on true TV. Yes. One more on true TV. That Sunday night one. It always slips in there. Auburn, Miami in Greenville approximately before we close out the night 840 tip is texas purdue and then the last one will be arizona tcu out in san diego a 940 tip on tbs before we talk coaching carousel 
You're the man who knows the games, man. You have the picks. Any straight up money line underdog situations you like to win any of those matchups tomorrow? If so, where do they apply in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I would look at TCU against the spread. I forget what what that number is. Just really impressed with TCU and, and Jamie Dixon. And I think the fact that Arizona committed 19 turnovers against Wright State without Kirk Creesa is a little bit of a red flag for me as they enter a game against a TCU team that they can really get a lot of momentum going based off the turnovers. I mean, that, that was kind of their, their recipe for success versus Seton Hall. So a team that's entering with a lot of confidence. And I don't know that I like TCU in the straight-up upset special, but I just think that game could be a, end up being a little bit closer than expected. That's the one. I'm feeling – you feeling any uh, chance Notre Dame can do it against Texas Tech? No, no, because yeah, that – I got Texas Tech Texas against me, by the way, because I, I, I doubted their ability to make the Sweet 16. They have – they have I mean, the alive and well in Lubbock right now. Think about how good that, that Texas Tech defense is compared to how not so good that Alabama defense is. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Here are the lines. Uh, I'll give you the lines real quick. I'm going to bring up the trusty CBS Sports app. A reminder, if you don't have, if you, in all seriousness, I don't know if it's close, if there's a better sports app for your phone, for alerts, for user interface than CBS Sports app. And I have the lines here as well. Uh, Illinois, a 4.5 dog to Houston. We love Illinois on the money line there. We love it. I, I saw Brad Underwood said that Trent Frazier has pink eye. That's a real tough situation. I don't know if that's still going to impact them there. Oh, by the way, I also have Ohio State in the Sweet 16. I've had that from the start. Uh, that's a uh, money line play for me with the Buckeyes as well. Um, anything else there? I like Wisconsin to beat Iowa State. I like Duke to beat Michigan State. I like Duke to beat Michigan State and for it to be compelling for a bit. Final six, seven minutes, it's out of arm's reach, and maybe Duke wins it by about nine, ten points. Uh, note on that, if K wins, he'll have 1,200 for his career. Those two coaches, Izzo and Kay, have 151 NCAA tournament wins. That's the most ever for two coaches meeting in the NCAA tournament. That's a record. Kay and Izzo will be meeting for the sixth time in the NCAA tournament. It's more meetings between two head coaches in men's basketball NCAA tournament history than anyone ever before. And my favorite stat, yes, you've heard all about Coach K is 12-3 and three versus Tom Izzo. That's an 80% win rate. But Tom Izzo, on a one-day prep or a two-day turnaround, however you want to phrase it, has won 79% of his games, 23 and six in his career when playing on that one day turnaround. So that means either the second round, the elite eight or the national title game. His win percentage is basically right there with Kay's win percentage against him. Kay mentioned earlier, I was at press availability that head to head records in men's college basketball. He t- he puts no stock in them whatsoever, whether he truly believes that or not. I don't know, but he was obviously trying to downplay his dominance over his own that regard. One of those trends will win out. Kay's going to beat him one more time, and, he, and he's owned him, basically. Or Izzo, on a, uh, a two-day prep, will uh, live up to the uh, January, February Izzo moniker uh, once more. By the way, Auburn, minus 7.5 against Miami. Game smells a little funny to me. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how that game plays out. And uh, if Duke wins easy, I'll be, get to be able to watch most of that. If Duke loses... <laughs> I'll be in the building, but I'll be writing and doing a lot of stuff about Mike Krzyzewski's career being over. Uh, Purdue three and a half versus Texas is one that obviously you want to keep an eye on. Seems a little. I know you're, you're. I know you're, which side you're on in that one, but I actually, I'm on Purdue. But yeah, of course you've been on Purdue all year. I'm 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 taking Texas because I've been on Texas all year. Uh, predicted them to win the national title, uh, which looks suspect uh, in retrospect. 
Uh, that was that was a prediction I made before the season. But a team that I think it just could be a classic case of a really good defense being more important than a really good offense in March, because that's a really fun matchup tomorrow with with Purdue's offense and Texas's defense. That's an oil and water type of situation. I see that one similarly to how I saw UAB and Houston, just a UAB offensive juggernaut against a Houston defensive juggernaut. And in, in the UAB Houston scenario, defense went out. This time the, the seeds are kind of flips because Purdue is, is the higher seed with the better offense. I think it could be a really, really good game. I appreciate everyone's uh, questions and uh, chatter in the comments. Thank you very much. It's, it's much appreciated. Um, I saw someone ask why the games go so late on a Sunday because they can. And because CBS is going to find tremendous value in three standalones on big CBS leading into 60 minutes. And then you'll be able to split up. I wish it was more spread out. I'm not a TV executive. There is very much a science behind all of this. And when they have the channels at their disposal, they are going to go into prime time on a Sunday night. It's always going to be that way. And so, yeah, you will get a cram. Would it be better if you had staggered tips every hour on a Sunday for eight games? Yes, but that's just not how it is. As we wrap, we'll talk carousel here. Uh, The big coaching news of the day is Sean Miller going to Arizona. And uh, I'll give some backstory on this. But before I do, Cobb, I just want your thoughts, how surprised you are over the idea that Sean Miller, a year after being fired from Arizona, and while he still has not yet been punished by the IARP from uh, from his level one coaching charge violation, uh, coach control violation charge. uh, Nevertheless, it, it did not prohibit him from making a return from where he once came and going back to Cincinnati. Well, they had some pretty good choices, didn't they, right? If it, if it was going to be a former Xavier coach. Last I checked, uh, Chris Mack is also on the market. And, and Yes, but as I under, yeah, I, I don't think Chris Mack has any desire right now. To, I know what you're saying, but I, I don't think uh, it was a Mack versus Miller kind of race. Mack obviously, somebody floated Thad Mata as well. Was that you or did, was that somebody no, else? I, I, I put it out there that he was so good that might it be, uh, might it be something to consider. And then I had actually forgotten about this when Mata left Xavier. It actually did not. It did. They, they didn't split on the best of terms. That was oh four, I think. Uh, and I had forgotten that. Um, so there were uh, a few people, and then some. Frankly, some Xavier fans who reminded me it's not going to be Thad. But uh, his win percentage was tremendous there, and Thad's obviously a, a very good coach. But uh, but no, this Miller was their top target basically from when they surprisingly the way they did it when they fired Steele all of what five days ago at this point. Yeah, I mean, hey, and good job by you, by the way. I, I, no, I'm not looking for that. I wanted to know how surprised you were. And if you think that, will this work? Are we going to look up in four, five, six years? Sean Miller's going to have Xavier, you know, making the tournament every year, making second uh, yeah, weekend runs. Do yeah, you think well, this, this, it might get labeled a retread, but it's, it's not a retread because you're not talking about a coach who flamed out and is looking to reclaim his former glory. You're talking about a coach who was still really successful, who recruited – uh, some of these players who are on a run right now with Arizona, that's pretty special. And you can say that the circumstances of their recruitment may have been suspect according to some of these uh, investigations that are going on, whatever. Uh, yeah. I think Sean Miller is still a really good coach. He's going to win some games. I, I think so as well. If you want the backstory on how this came to be, um, I'll try and be quick on it. So uh, Miller didn't coach this year, obviously wanted to get back in. Xavier and its athletic director, Greg Christopher, like this is a hire that he has to get right to save his job without a doubt. Can't miss on it. Xavier's not used to not making the tournament, you know, three consecutive tournaments. And that's exactly what happened under Steele. So they targeted Sean. And I had sources tell me that that happened basically immediately. And then they had to go through their diligence on, okay, 
Can we get can we hire him? And what do we think is going to happen when he gets his punishment? Now, the interesting about this, and I didn't put the, I didn't want to bog my story down with this. Xavier's athletic director was on the committee on infractions. OK, so but he should know like that should actually give correct. him. Some on, That's know. exactly. So that was that wasn't all of it, but that was part of it. He he had the ability to both understand the case and also everything that's tied into that process, regardless of it's Sean Miller or whomever it is. And so that helped the process. I was also told that, you know, there were one or two very influential, important uh, financiers around the program that if they signed off on Miller, it would be a yes on down from the president and so on and so forth. That got done. Uh, but yes, there was red tape to work around to figure out if it could happen. South Carolina came hard. And I mean hard. I don't want to hear any denials after the fact. Uh-uh. Sean Miller had a standing offer from South Carolina that I'm told was one million more per year, according to an industry source, one million more per year than what Xavier, because Xavier's not absolutely flush with cash. It's not poor or anything like that, but it doesn't have the resources to absolutely come hard the way that, frankly, a lot of SEC and other big conference programs can. So that caused Miller to uh, to vacillate for a little bit. Xavier was his preference, but again, they were waiting there. It was a weird, like, leverage, non-leverage situation. Like, Sean Miller kind of had leverage because he had two standing offers. He He had both offers available to him on Saturday morning. Xavier also was able to leverage things and we'll never know the details of the contract as it's a private school, but there are no doubt things in that contract that are going to protect Xavier lest Sean Miller get himself into trouble again. So I don't really know who had more leverage in this case because Miller wanted to go to Xavier. That's where he went. And as I understand it, he went there for less money uh, and it's on a six year deal with all of that as backdrop. I do anticipate Sean Miller will be suspended next season. I've been told, and this goes back uh, months, uh, I think that Miller and Arizona's case will get resolved in the fall. I think September's the earliest, and I think November's the latest, but I think there's going to be an intention to get that thing done before the season starts. Knock on wood, come find me when it's January and we don't still, still don't have an answer. The expectation is because Bruce Pearl didn't get hit that hard, and they had a postseason ban, self-imposed. Arizona did a self-imposed postseason ban under Miller. Like, they, I don't think they're going to expect Miller to get more than three, five, six games. Ten, I think, would be more than they're expecting, but not unthinkable. Anything more than that, I don't think is on the table. So you take that, you take the suspension, you deal with it, then you got Miller for the long run. So we go. Xavier has its guy there. That's the story with Miller. Now, because of that, South Carolina is open. We kind of wait and see, to be honest. Uh, I've heard... Uh, BJ Mackey, a Wake Forest assistant uh, from South Carolina, is in there. I've heard Lamont Paris is in there. There's wonderment about whether or not Matt McMahon would be in there. I'm suspicious that he would. In fact, the interesting thing is McMahon was tied to Missouri. Now that's been reported that it's Dennis Gates, and there's going to have to be some official stuff from the university that has to get voted into on Monday for Dennis Gates, Cleveland State coach, to be the next guy at Missouri. Mississippi State is still open. Again, I think that will be Chris Jans. Kansas State is still open. We wait and see if that's a situation where I don't know if McMahon would want that. Jerome Tang is obviously a heavy candidate for that job there. We will see a few more of these close. And then, oh, by the way, I mean, I'm losing track of my days. I get was Todd. Did I report Todd Golden on Friday? I, I, yeah, I did. Because I was at the I was at my Wi-Fi went down when I'm trying to break the story. I'm trying to tweet this story for 10 minutes and there's no Wi-Fi or hardwire in the building. I was losing my mind. So Golden goes to Florida. Um that got worked out earlier in the week, and they get they get the San Francisco coach. There's been a lot. It's it's hard to keep track of all of this stuff, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Miller to Xavier is the big one, but there's 
a lot of moving pieces. And I think that there's the potential for Sunday for there to be another big job or two to close. And then on Monday, another big job or two to close. Thoughts, Cobb? Go with it where yeah, you well, want. The, uh, well, Sean Miller, going back to Xavier, the Big East feels very gettable right now. Villanova is Villanova. After Villanova, it feels second place in the Big East feels like anybody's game next season. Providence obviously won the league this year, regular season title, still dancing, phenomenal story. Ed Cooley, if he's sticking around, you know, could continue to have them at or near the top of the league. But beyond that, it, it feels open. Creighton's shown some flashes, but if Seton Hall's coming open with Kevin Willard going to Maryland and, and whatnot, it just kind of seems like a, a, a league that is right for the taking with Sean Miller coming in and having, having a chance to make some hay right away. There's so much to keep up with. And I would anticipate, I don't know when we will do an episode dedicated to carousel who went where I, who knows when that might be after the tournament, but you mentioned that uh, my expectation is that Willard to Maryland is done. Could be official Sunday. If not the day after it would stun everyone in the industry. If Kevin Willard isn't going to Maryland at this point, and how, actually, how are Terps fans, how are Terps fans feeling about know. that one? It doesn't seem like it's a, a move. Again, he's one in five in the NCAA tournament. Now, had they gone in 2020, we had a tournament. Maybe he wins one or two games, and he's not one in five. I, you know, I, I get all that, but um, it's tough to. Uh, I mean, Seton Hall was a complete no show, dude. TCU rolled him, and it's so at least Willard. Like Willard didn't beg off the question entirely at his press conference. He's like, I, I got to talk to my agent, and then if I'm not here and Shaheen's here, it'll be the happiest I've been. I get all that. Shaheen Holloway to Seton Hall seems like it should be the next move. Um, and I think that's probably where it'll go. Uh, but I did get told one name uh, for record. I can't say the name on the podcast. Sorry, that's that's just a, that's a tease for you. What I think I it'll probably be Holloway. No, you're not. Even if you guess it, I'm not going there. Even if you guess, I can't. I can't. Um, I got asked in the chat who's Tulsa going to hire. I don't know. I'll give you some names. Uh, I'll give you some. Names. I've heard. Okay, I've heard for Tulsa. I've heard Kyle Keller, Stephen F. Austin. I've heard Steve Lutz from Corpus Christi. I've heard. Eric Conco, Louisiana Tech. I've heard maybe like long shot Frank Martin. I don't know about that, man. I, I don't know about that. He's pretty good then, in the studio, actually. He is. He is. And then I want to say I got told one more, and I can't remember who. Um, uh, Grant McCaslin? No, no, no. Grant McCaslin won't leave North Texas for Tulsa. He's got a better situation in so many ways at North Texas. He will not. Grant McCaslin, I believe, is also taking his name out of consideration for Kansas State. So we keep an eye on that. And then as far as LSU, who the heck knows? Maybe Matt McMahon will go to LSU. The thing with LSU is that there's an anticipation that because the school didn't move on Wade and just kind of accepted the situation that it was for three years, that it could be a one-year postseason ban. LSU could get a two-year postseason ban. So it's affected the job pool. I had one source tell me about 24 hours ago, eh, maybe like 26 hours ago, because it wasn't this late in the Saturday, that uh, it's a ton of guesswork on LSU right now because a lot of the big names that it went after, it's it's nose. It's nose across the board. So who is it going to be? If you're LSU and you can get Matt McMahon, you're over the moon about it. So, you know, keep an eye on that one. And that might take the longest to fill. But then again, as always, these situations can turn so fast. All it takes is the right candidate to talk to the AD or the person in charge, the people that they need to talk to. You get it done in a six-hour span and a job thing can change like that, or you can kind of get dragged out. So that's an abbreviated kind of tour of the carousel and where we are at. Saturday was a big-time day. Oh, by the way, Archie Miller is going to Rhode Island. I think, I think that stuff leaked like with two minutes to go in a really good game. And it's like timing. What are we doing here? Can we wait yeah, until we're in a stinker? You might have thought I, I want to say there was like an awesome game happening when the Archie Miller 
when I got a text from a source that it was done, he was going to Rhode Island. I was like, really? Right now? We're doing this? His, his camp could have gotten maybe some more PR if they'd waited uh, for, for a more opportune moment in the news cycle. I know. I hear you. Um, I hear you. I miss my buddy Gary Parrish, but uh, he's in studio, and he gets to go to bed earlier tonight. He will be on the podcast. I believe the plan here, it's going to be later than normal. This is a West Coast deal. Um, so that's either going to be the thing, or it would be at some point Monday. We will get you another podcast to wrap the weekend to give you the Sunday reactions. Um, I want to thank David Cobb for hopping on the pod. I hope everyone's enjoying this. Uh, certainly, you know, give you a little live reaction to games. We were made sure to recap every single one from Saturday, get you set for Sunday. Thank you to everyone who watched live, who liked it. All the hashtag GP Peacocks, I saw G Peacocks that I saw in the chat. I don't know if Nada gave out a hundred dollar Paramount Plus gift card. Maybe that happened. Nada, did it happen? Up in here. That did happen. That did Sweet. happen. I did it. I tried to do my production work on the sly. So my man Ryan Guerra earned himself a a hundred dollar Paramount Plus gift card, and Excellent. here we are. I believe more of those will be coming, right? One every live show, provided we get at least 150 likes. That's all it takes. What what's our like total right now in real time, Nada? We hold on one sec. Let me go take a look at that. And I, I can't believe he caught me off guard on that one. <laughs> I was I was I was trying to like wow not have to say we are at 197 likes right now. Three more likes, and I play the G Peacock noise one more time. You guys got like 30 seconds to get to 200 likes for the Peacock noise. Nada, let me know. As I as I saunter out, remind me. We we're, we're there. We're there. Like we are that? there. Yep. That's all it takes to get you people to like this video. Step up earlier, please. All right, let me bring it up here. I said I'd do what I do. I'm a man, I'm a man of my word. What do you want from me? Here it comes. Here it comes. Here we go. Parrish, you're the absolute best, buddy. I, I honestly didn't think he was going to do that, and I was, I'm was, i so happy that he did. I'm so happy we have that forever. And you know what? We might get new cuts of it because the Peacocks aren't going anywhere. But to the Sweet 16. You got any last thoughts, Cobb, before I close up this show? No, go Peacocks. That's it. Go Peacocks, man. What an incredible story, a national story. That is a national news story. You'll probably see... St. Peter's across the morning news shows on Monday. And why not? Embrace it all. It's incredible. It's been an amazing first few days of the NCAA tournament. We wrap up. We're at 24 teams. We'll get down to a Sweet 16 by the end of Sunday night. We will have a podcast ready for you in some capacity late, late, late Sunday or early Monday. And then we'll have another one after that. We continue to have huge, huge thanks for all that you guys and gals are doing for us. Subscribing, watching, listening. You have given us... Uh, some of our most listened to shows ever and we are so very appreciative of it. it you listeners you make the show you are I just can't send you my thanks enough and hopefully you are enjoying it listening to it as much as we are enjoying frankly just gabbing on it uh, I don't do the shouts it's not my deal so with that I bid you good night I'll talk to you in a few days enjoy Sunday's games
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.